You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Today we're chatting with Dr. Linda Ulrich, the author of Happiness is an Option, Thriving Instead of Surviving in the Era of the Internet. I'm sure by title alone, you can already tell how pumped I am for this conversation. And especially seeing as it was a number one new release on Amazon, I'm sure you will gain so much from it as well. Besides being a best-selling author, Dr. Linda is actually a dentist and owns a dental practice with her husband up in Northern Vermont. And after being inspired by one particular patient, she ended up creating a media company with what we all wish existed somewhere on the internet, a place with no politics or ads called Ever Widening Circles, where the mission is to change the negative dialogue about our times to show the good news that still exists and the amazing world that still is. So all that to say, we are so stoked to have Dr. Linda on Thrive today. Stay tuned through this episode, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and without further ado, welcome Dr. Linda. Hello, how are you, Erica? I'm great, how are you? Great, I'm super excited to be here because you've got just the right sort of setting for the kinds of things we we all need to talk about these days. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think too, your book is obviously right up this podcast alley, since we are all about thriving instead of surviving here and the choice that exists in that shift. So a big fat welcome to you. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you kick us off with telling telling everyone a bit more about you and your story and your work? Well, um, as Erica mentioned, my husband and I are both dentists in a small Vermont town, um, about an hour south of Montreal. And um, I grew up in Illinois, a world away. Um, my dad was a physician who really taught me what compassion means. He was one of those guys, the last of the Mohicans, took out, took out your tonsils, delivered your baby, you had his home phone, you know, that sort of guy. And um so I, I have always had a thread, thread of empathy that ran through my life. And, and when I didn't see people behaving in ways that were possibly, uh, that were good and, and made all that was possible, I kind of demanded it. I, I, I just always never really, um, never really found much use for, um, for not preserving other people's dignity and not helping others thrive. I mean, this is it. My dad was such a master of making people, um, helping people thrive in life. So when I became a dentist, uh, my husband and I created a dental practice that was very relationship oriented. And that is how I come to be speaking to you because we spent two decades really, really knowing people, really getting into deep conversations and as early as 2010, I know this is going to be hard for anybody to believe now, but as early as 2010, this downward spiral and the negative news cycle was starting to get to us then. And I kept finding myself saying, gee, somebody's got to do something about this. And I kept saying that through all these conversations with patients who I'd always known as super chipper, people were starting to feel like they're, that a sense of future fatalism, I guess I'd call it. 
So we didn't know we'd ever get to where we are now back then, of course. <laughs> well, in 2013, I had a, I, I received an email from a young patient who I'd known since he was a toddler, and he'd signed up for the army in a way that he thought he could make the world a better place. And he was writing me in the email from a very bleak part of the world. And it was full of all the kinds of things we're saying now. You know, things seem hopeless. Every time I get work from home, I feel worse about the future, those sort of things. And um, <laughs> I just, um, that was my aha moment. I, I, I had spent my whole professional life trying to find something to celebrate with every person. And that's probably why he wrote me. But all I had that day for him was my list of favorite TED Talks. <laughs> I mean, these conversations with patients had gotten so frequent that I'd actually teed up my very favorite 20 TED Talks so that I could send it to people who are really down in the dumps and lead them through a lot of wonder and possibility. So that's how ever Winding Circles came to be. I, I, I saw a problem and kept saying, this is terrible. <laughs> and then one day I said, this is terrible. I guess I got to do something about it. And I um, found a web developer and I started writing about all the insight and innovation that, that no one was celebrating. I love that too, because I love the fact that you were introspective enough to just look at that and go, you know what, something has to be done, something has to be done. You know what, why not me? I'll do something about it. And I feel like so, that so many more people and so many more lives would be benefited if that was more of the mentality that was shared, especially mm -hmm. nowadays of all, you know, of all times. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing I really like to encourage people um, to have a, to take the 10,000 look about. I noticed that we tend to not want to, to just go for things unless we can make a touchdown. Mm. And I had to get really okay through my professional life of giving people plays for their playbook, of get, helping people get the ball down the field 10 yards. You know, we're not going to finish this journey any of us. I mean, it, our life is the journey of, of being kinder than we need to be and being helpful when we can. And um, so that's the thing I, I've really noticed is the thought leaders, large and small, that we write about at Everwedding Circles, they're the kind of people that would just see a problem and know they can do something. Uh, and they do. <laughs> I love that you say that. You say that in your book too, being kinder than you need to be. Because, and I know you and I have, have this shared background in both being NICU moms, mm -hmm. but that was something that was so prevalent and just resonated so strongly with me through our journey because you know this well yourself, just kind of that, that unspoken grief and pain that you are swallowed in as you're going through a journey like that. And then you might be leaving your, your baby in a NICU with a bunch of people who are strangers to you. And then you have to go to the grocery store and figure out how to get through day daily life. And something as seemingly simple as someone slamming a door in your face could be the, the thing that literally just breaks you that day. So being kinder than you need to be is, oh my gosh, that really has such a butterfly effect on, on so much. Yes. And you know, I think, um, Eric, I'd love that you, that you dove into that a little deeper because there's different ways to say that phrase. Um, you know, be kinder. If you just stop like that, well, I got to tell you, <laughs> most people I know think they are kind, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm not going to be kind today. No, but being kinder than you need to be is that little bit of a qualifier that makes wherever we start, even if we think we're, we're kind, it makes us raise our game. And that's what these times call for is all of us to raise our game. 
Absolutely. Before diving into everything else, I need you to share this fun fact because I read this, I think on your website or somewhere. And I was like, wait, this is the coolest thing ever. You need to explain this to people. Fun fact about you that you know what a ladybug, purple cashmere yarn, a swing set, you know what they taste like. Tell us how, because that is wild. <laughs> I know. So there's this, uh, there's this way that our senses can get crossed in our brains. And I didn't realize I had this until I had a 12 year old with it. We were sitting on the, on the porch one night at dinner and I, she was probably younger than that, 10, 11. And um, she, we were listening to some music. We had some music on in the porch and she said, that is so purple, isn't it? <laughs> And she looked around the table and looked at us all. And we all looked back at her like, music is not a color. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she, this was her first realization that everybody didn't think like she is. It's a condition called synesthesia. It's where your senses get crossed a little bit. And for, for my daughter, when she hears music, she sees colors and, um, and shapes. Like, that is so cool. <laughs> can tell you what color your name is. Like there's just a, there's a color for the letter L and what have you. And my synesthesia <laughs> is that um, like, you know, like the, there's this particular purple indigo yarn that as at the local yarn store, every time I go in there, I have to put my hand on it and I can taste what it tastes like. It tastes like, like hot grapes that have been sitting out in the sun um, and like a swing set, like, remember those old galvanized swing sets? Mm -hmm. I remember as a child putting my mouth on them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I think I've been that. So anyway, and ladybugs, they definitely have a certain kind of a taste as well. <laughs> that is That's wild. If you're like that, it's about 10% of people, by the way, have this little, where their senses cross and, um, if, if any of this resonates with you or it might resonate with something your kids have said that you thought was a little crazy, look up synesthesia. Um, it's spelled like it sounds only with a Y S Y. And um, it's a pretty interesting uh, little twist on the way the human brain can be wired. That's awesome. I'm obsessed. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Okay. So then transitioning to your book here, happiness mm -hmm. is an option right off the bat. I'm guessing we've maybe got a few naysayers listening in who are already rolling their eyes at us at the idea of choosing happiness, thinking mm -hmm. that it is this hippy dippy idea that is just simply not realistic in the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. So what would you want to say to those people before we dive into mm -hmm. everything that we're going to talk about? Well, um, the, the, re the reality is that we can choose what to give our attention to. Like there are a thousand things calling from my attention right now in this little room in a 150 year old house where my dental practice is located. And there's things going on behind me in the windows. And I mean, we are all day long choosing what to give our attention to. So to me, <laughs> that is not much of a leap to think we can choose to give our attention to all the acrimony, fear and division but what we have to remember is that every time you decide what to do, you are also eliminating a whole host of other things that you might also be doing. So, you know, I, I've had um, 
I've had people tell me that they get, they're so hooked on the news that they've found themselves hiding <laughs> in their laundry room because oh, they really know they should be not on their phone checking the news. They should be with their kids, helping them at the dining room table with homework. But they're so addicted to the negative news cycle that they're in the, <laughs> in the laundry room hiding, scrolling on their phone. So when I look at just happiness, then we take that same notion up to the 10,000 foot look we can choose what to give our attention to. And I think we can choose to be, to look, to look for the things around us that we can be grateful for, to look for the things that are working, to look for the things that have all the possibility in the world. Um, and, and, and I don't know. I just think it's an option that we're not exercising as often as we could because we're trapped in these cycles of just following our lizard brain down the road. I think you're spot on. And I think that your media company is almost proof of that because the fact that ever widening circles is essentially like a, a happy news outlet where you're not sharing negativity. You're not sharing all of the horrible things that happen every day, but on the very flip side, you're sharing the great things that deserve to be celebrated every day. I mean, if you hold that up next to, you know, a traditional media company, there's really no comparison. It's like night and day. One is a very different tone than the other. And it was truly just in what you hand selected to be curated for, for people to see. So I'm with you. <laughs> so what something that's really fundamental to this notion, which we should probably talk about from the book is that um, I, I went from an ordinary person who could just order a pair of work boots online and put something on Facebook about my kids to a global web publisher in seven intense years. And what the book is about are some key things that I learned that I'm still aghast at. <laughs> that like, I just can't believe this is how it worked out, mm -hmm. but it did. So I'm sharing it with people on um, if this is the way it is, what are our choices? What do we do next? And to that, to your point there is that um, what we what we first have to fundamentally understand about the Internet is that it is an attention economy. It's all about counting every click we make. Mm -hmm. There's literally everything that happens on the Internet. Everything that shows up in your newsfeed is based on these algorithms and just the fact that someone is, is paying attention to what we're paying attention to. And so right there, right from the get-go, if we understood that and if we clicked on things knowing that, oh my gosh, we, the internet would change overnight. And so I'm looking at possibilities all the time. You know, people are always interviewing me and saying, there's nothing about racism on your website. There's nothing about the fires. There's nothing. And there are other people who can tell those stories better than I can. What our particular mission is, is to give some attention, <laughs> give some oxygen to all the things that are going unreported, all the things that are going uncelebrated. It's so good and so true. And I see this all the time, be it doing what I do for a living, you know, having a blog and being what they call an influencer and all of that. And so much of what feels like my everyday life is completely driven by algorithms and social media algorithms. And it can be so honestly suffocating and so frustrating because you see every single day people who have great content, great message, great everything, 
And it is literally just not shown to people who have already chosen to follow you. They've already said, I like this person. I want to see what they're doing. And even those people aren't able to see the good stuff for one reason or another. And for there is still no good rhyme or reason for why that is. So it's, oh my gosh. And it's such a shame because you think of how much good, good stuff is out there that just doesn't really doesn't really get seen or doesn't really see the light of day that it could and doesn't have mm-hmm. the impact that it could because of that. Um, we're we're going to change that. I'm almost certain that people are at, I, here's the things I say. I say you have to, for a really major leap, like saying in 1962 that we were going to walk, uh, we were going to put a man on the moon in nine years, like eight years, that, that, <laughs> remember the computers they had then were not even like something we would send our (laughs) kids to school with in a calculator. Um, And yet we did it. Right. So whenever these great leaps in, in human history take place, it's when our back is to the wall. So we're super motivated. So you've got to have the motivation there and throughout society, it it can't just be some, you know, fringe people. It has to be the weight of humanity has to feel like it's being pressed on. And then the second thing we have to do is have the knowledge. So we got the motivation. We need the knowledge, the pieces of hard information that can, that can create this leap. And then the fourth thing, the third thing that happens is that um, you have to have a plan. You have to know what to do next. And that's, that's how we, how they handled the, the, the blitz in, in London. That's how all of human history we've come out of, some really dark times. So I, I want to share with your um, your listeners some really practical tips today, because I'm not one of those positivity gurus. And mm-hmm. I, though I love them, they get me super <laughs> fired up. Um, I, I'm really about practicality. Yes, me too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So here's a here. So most of us have the motivation. We know that this internet that we're using our online lives are unsustainable at the level of emotion and drama and intensity that's going on there, that's unsustainable. So I think we got all the motivation. Part number one, done. <laughs> now we need the knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just try and celebrate that. Remember, that's what I'm all about. <laughs> okay. The second thing we need to know is the, the knowledge of why or, or, or the nuts and bolts. And I have recently come across something that I find absolutely extraordinary that I, I am recommending to every human being um, that'll hear me. There is a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma, which came out nine days after my book did. And uh, we had someone tell us there was, a, there was a trailer that we watched. The book launched on September 1st, and we learned about this around September 3rd. And so we just held our breath. Would this documentary um, validate everything we said in the book? Would it make things worse, better, what have you? Um, and I would recommend everyone watch this thing. And here's the good news. <laughs> sounds, it sounds scary if you read the trailers and they've got the scary music and the whole thing. <laughs> but it's not. It's, they've done it really, really well. What they're doing is they're setting the inventors of the internet, the person who, who invented the infinite scroll, the person who invented the like button on Facebook, the <sighs> person who invented the algorithm that serves us the next YouTube video. They just set them on a stool in a blank, empty warehouse, and they just let them tell their story. That's awesome. And there's not a lot of, there's, it, it's not, it's not a lot of doom and gloom. It just is. 
And what I, and that's the kind of knowledge we need to make the next leap, which is okay. If this is the way it is. So you'll, you'll sit through two hours and you'll go, that's why when I Google this and my sister Googles the same exact word, we get entirely different search results. That's why I can't sit next to my uncle Rob at the Thanksgiving table anymore. (laughs) I'm telling you, (laughs) if every person in the United States watched that video, they'd know why Thanksgiving dinner tables are like they are so contentious. So that's the knowledge part. And then the third part is a plan. And that's, that's the only thing I find fault in that, in that um, documentary is that they don't give us a plan, but um, in a strange (laughs) set of serendipity, my book has the plan. Here's what we do. Here's what we do after that. And here's what we do after that. And, um, and I came by those, those notions because of my strange experience um, coming to the internet as a, as an outsider. Okay. So in happiness is an option, you give four simple shifts that readers are encouraged to make to bring you to this place of thriving. So in the spirit of practicality here, can you walk us through some of these steps? Sure. This is, this is the, this is the kind of the fun part. Of course, for me, it's, it's very uh, back to the practicality thing. It's all about what we can do. Each of us can do. We can do this starting immediately. Okay. So if we start with the idea that the internet um, wasn't invented by some kind of evil geniuses, what happened was in, <laughs> it's really true. In 1993, there were only 130 websites in existence. That's and crazy the en- to Isn't think that about. Crazy? crazy 1993. And the engineers were just running into work every day, imagining some new way to either connect us all or get us information faster. Those were the two premises. But by <laughs> but by ten within ten years, there were forty million websites. So here's what happened. There had to be an organizing principle. You can't go from 130 to 40 million without some organizing principle. And um, what it became was our attention. So the original, God, God, God bless them, the original inventors thought, hey, if something's getting everybody's attention, it must be valuable, right? And so the internet became what we have today, where value is conflated with what we give our attention to. And that's the way advertisers and content creators and everyone who's ever created anything for the internet um, are, are living right now. I mean, to be honest, we even do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Have you ever posted anything on like Instagram or Facebook and it only gets two likes and you're like, what? <laughs> oh, and then- I mean, that was, that's my life. That's my full-time what? job. Every what? day it's like, oh my God, a I matter know. of all of it. No. Well, we are counting. So when I say someone is counting every click you make, well, that someone is us too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've all gotten into this value that things are only valuable when they get attention. And of course we know in our hearts, that's not true, but it is the organizing principle of the internet. And I tell you that because we, what the first thing we need to know about what the internet's doing to us. And I do mean it just like that. Not that we're victims. I hope that we can talk about the the victim uh, mentality. But what the internet is doing to us is it's it's triggering the most primitive part of our brain. So back in the caveman days, um, there there is this part of our brain that's a million years old. It's called the amygdala. And that's our fight or flight part of our brain. 
And that is on still today, 24 seven. It's still on while you're sleeping and it's ready to make you react in an instant without a millisecond's thought. And that's what keeps us from touching a hot wood stove or pulling our hand away or whatever, reacting appropriately when our kids are just about to run into the street. <laughs> right? You know, we've all just done heroic things based on the, the adrenaline and all the impulses that our amygdala um, gives us. So it's a good part of our brain, except that back to the attention economy, um, by 2003, uh, people started to learn that that was the way to get our attention, was to try and trigger our, our, our worst impulses, our fear and our anger and scarcity um, on the internet. And that got our attention. And then they got around that whole actually having to produce value part of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so with that little bit of knowledge, I should tell you the good news is, is that we do have a more, um, a newer part of our brain called the cerebral cortex, and that is in charge of our critical thinking. So when we want to just look at a, at a mean Facebook post or something and say, wait a minute, they're just trying to get me to click on that. We can get there because we made a pause. So our, our amygdala is going to always be on. We can't get away from that, but we can pause and shift up to the more sensible part of our brain and have more empowering reactions to what's on the internet. And that is going to be the secret to opening a new era for us all. It's funny that you say that too, because I, this was something I used to say, oh my gosh, years ago was pause to respond instead of react which is really funny now that you've tied that to the internet because it's literally on Facebook. The The thing is called the reaction button now where on your gut instinct, you're supposed to say what your reaction is. And I've always thought it that way. You know, so many of us will have that gut reaction to something and that's how we get in trouble, whether that's how we pick a fight or how we just feel terrible for whatever reason. And if you just take a moment to pause to kind of formulate a more intentional response before you just let your gut reaction out, mm -hmm. it could literally be a totally different, a totally different a totally scenario. Different yeah. Right. Okay. So if we know that everything on the internet is vying for our attention, not our money, but our attention and how long they can keep us in their grip is really, really important. Do you know the algorithms on the internet? They, they aren't just seeing what we're clicking on or liking or commenting on. They're actually counting how many milliseconds we stay there. Mm -hmm. So have you ever gone to look up like I'm a giant gardener? So right now we have so many zucchini. I can't even tell you. So if I go look up a recipe on the internet for zucchini and, and I notice a fight has broken out in the comments over microwave use. <laughs> if I even get a little curious and, and look at that for a couple of seconds. I'm going to see more divisive, um, that kind of conflict related content. Cause I just told the internet that I like that. Mm -hmm. It's counting every click they make. So, okay. So now that we know it's an attention economy, so we've got to choose what we give our attention to. And we know that we can lead on the internet with our lizard brain. That's that impulsive part. That's not thinking. And that actually is our worst impulses or we can use the cerebral cortex as a savvy part of our brain. Here are my four shifts. First, we have to understand based on the first one that we need to seek signs of goodness and progress. We need to seek it because the internet is not built to bring that to the top. It's absolutely not. It can, it can go that way. And I'll tell you about that in a few minutes, but it can go that way. I mean, we are deciding what rises to the top of the internet. 
Our brains aren't even formulated to think that way. That we no. talked about this on an earlier episode of Thrive with a positive psychologist. And it's yeah. why if we could hear a hundred good things, a hundred compliments about ourselves, right. and one person could give right. a dissent and say something awful, and you will literally forget the 99 positive things and just focus on that one jerk. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. And here's why that is. And I, I'd love to explain this deeply to people so they really know thyself. I mean, this is what we have to right now get is that there's not one of us who is, who can resist this. So our brains were hardwired back in the saber tooth tiger days to recognize signs of disorder because the slightest sound of sign of disorder could signal danger. And then it was time for us to react. So like if you and I were out walking, picking berries one day, 40,000 years ago with our stone age, family <laughs> and all of a sudden there was a twig snap and a saber-toothed tiger jumped out grabbed our three-year-old and carried her away and we never saw her again we would go back to our little encampment of 20 people and we would tell them the story what part of that story do you think they would remember where we found the great berries that day or what the sound of a twig snap means oh absolutely a twig snap right because we are hardwired to tell each other stories and we take in this information and become um, stronger against disorder because, oh, oh, I didn't need, I don't need a trig snap to happen to me. I can learn from your story and that makes me super hyper aware of twig snaps in the future. So this is what the negative 24 hour news cycle is doing to us. It's making us think that there's disorder in every city in America when it, there is not. It's making us think that the whole of the Western coast is burning, which it is not. And that is not to diminish the unbelievable despair and turmoil that all I could, you know, we could all go on and on that this is happening in the world, but none of that, not our compassion. In fact, our compassion is stymied by thinking that it's happening everywhere because our brains shut down. Maybe the psychologist told you about that. When we hear about too much disorder, we actually do get ap apathetic. Our brains can only do so much that takes so much overload. So it's actually better if we know the reality of the suffering than the magnified version of it, which causes mm. us to shut down. Okay, so back to the good news. Okay, <laughs> seek signs of goodness and progress on the internet. That's the first thing you have to do because the internet is not built to bring it to us, which is gonna get over it. <laughs> and 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 look for it. You can start on ever widening circles. What we have there, I can tell you, uh, other places on the internet too. There's a great website. Um, is it, uh, uh, let me first describe what we're doing at ever widening circles. It's different than all the others. We promise no politics, as you mentioned. Um, just none. <laughs> just not going to be there. Uh, we have no agenda, no commercial agenda either. We are just telling the stories that give us a sense of awe and wonder. That's it. I've got a team of nine people. We pitch every Monday story ideas to each other. We only write every other day because we only bring the very, very coolest things to the surface. Then we've got a newsletter and other places to talk about all the other good stuff. So you can start at Everwidening Circles. There's no puppies in mailboxes there. You're going to come away changed from the TED Talks that we point people to and the beautiful videography that that people are creating to point to really amazing things in the world. Mm, fabulous. Seek signs of goodness. And eventually you will change your algorithms and then you will start getting served it. 
So you've got to put in that time. Okay, so that's the first thing. Then back to your point, pause. The second shift is to pause before you click on anything. I'm talking um, curiosity, just blobfish. No, don't, <laughs> you know how it is. Those images or those headlines, you know, ghost ship, death ship, two death ships parked side by side in Miami port. You know, no. <laughs> If there's like really inflammatory language in the headline, that is trying to trigger our amygdala. And so if we pause before we click on anything out of curiosity, anger, boredom, pause, shift up to that other part of your brain and say, do we need more of this? <laughs> and if we don't, don't click on it. Don't, don't give it a second's notice. And you will see the things on the screens in your life start to change because the whole process is to feed us what we give our attention to. Third thing is shift. The, the first, first is seek, pause. The third one is ignore more. So the good news is we can actually ignore things into obscurity. I think when we started out talking, you were talking about all the good things and all the good people you know trying to change the, change the future for us all. And yet they're just toiling away in obscurity. They can't get the numbers. They can't, therefore, they can't get sponsorship. Therefore, and on and on it goes. If we all started ignoring the chaos builders, those good things would start to rise to the top. Something has to come to the top because somebody is counting every click we make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we can ignore things into obscurity. And then Which the is crazy because you think of how many times people start battles in their Facebook newsfeed, mm -hmm. and it is so simple to just keep on scrolling, mm -hmm. <laughs> to it keep, is. and people will just instigate hatred mm -hmm. or take their time to go on anonymous platforms and forums on the internet to just talk badly about people that they do not know in real life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you hate somebody that much, you can just unfollow them. You can mute them on your newsfeed. You don't actually need to consume their content. Like it is this mind blowing concept <laughs> that instead of acting like these people are taking beloved space on your newsfeed, how about you just stop giving it to them? Like you can literally just silently wow. and kindly sever that connection right, and carry on with your life. <laughs> so that's a really practical point that you're, you're mentioning is that, um, that we do have, we do have the choice to engage anger. That is, a, it's an option, right? Um, and I, and that, that is very, very key because these algorithms are also accounting how much inflammatory language we use in our savvy response. So um, I try and uh, try and quantify it for people to like this. I call it attention juice. How much attention juice are we willing to give? These, these, these negative things, the meaningless or the just plain mean. Because if you see some horrifying social media post that's against something you hold dear and you think, well, that's it. I'm going to type out the savviest response in human history. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. First of all, you just gave them attention juice by clicking on it. Then you gave them more by commenting. And then you know what's going to happen. They've got fans of that post that's going to read your savvy response and a hundred of them are going to chime in right behind you. And now you just gave them a hundred votes. Nobody would have responded had you just 
let the chaos builders um, fade into obscurity. Well, and that's how those algorithms work behind the scenes is it doesn't, mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's a positive or negative reaction, it's just instigating a reaction. It's keeping people on the platform, on the app, which benefits the app or the website for their advertising dollars. So they're going to show that to more people because it's doing something. So that's it, it helps them for their bottom line and they're not really caring if it's helping you and your passionate belief about, I don't know, like puppies in Florida or whatever, whatever you're upset about on your Facebook feed, it's like, no, you're just, you're going to literally get that thing that you hate shown to more people if you give that attention juice, like you just said. Yes, that's exactly it. It's no more complicated than that. And then the fourth thing, at what I learned, you know, when you've got a one inch between the like button or the share button on Facebook? Mm -hmm. Okay. What I learned is that there, the, the power is in going forward as in what we share. Um, a like goes out to just your besties, but a share can start a wave of its own. And we know this. We've all seen some wonderful video of dogs jumping into piles of leaves. <laughs> it's just full of so much joy. Like you really know that animals have a sense of joy when you watch this particular video. I'm thinking of it right off the top of my head. And I looked in and had 9 million, 9 million um, likes and God knows how many shares. And this is it. Like if we can propagate a video of, of a dog jump, dog jumping into piles of leaves, you know, what can we do about the, the kid, the neighbor kid who raised $400 for the better women's shelter? And, and how about, how about sharing that instead of liking it? Um, cause he'll inspire his peers and us and everybody else to do something good. Mm -hmm. So I think if we can, if, if we can just shift our finger over and decide really what we want shared in the world, what we all share. Um, that is a game changer too for the internet. And sharing is free. This is what, and I see this, I tell people this all the time, if, because people will come up to me or fellow small business owners and say, oh, how, I saw your thing on Facebook or I saw this, I'd love to support you, what do I do? And I'm like, well, share it. Like it will cost you zero dollars it costs you maybe 10 seconds, if that, of your time. And you might share it with someone who could be like my next, someone that could really benefit from it and then follow along with me and help my small business. Or if I see, you know, like you see a small business owner share something, share it. It is literally their dream that they are working so hard on. You might bring them a couple extra customers that might help them make rent next month because of you taking literally no time at all <laughs> to just hit share and say, this is really cool. Check it out. Done. Right. Absolutely right. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. I mean, we really have to decide. Um, now, I, I, I think I, I think I have one little um, quandary about that share thing. Do you think that people are actually working pretty hard to to reserve their shares for things that promote their personal brand? I have been torn on this myself because me personally, I've always been someone where I will just like things. I don't think twice before liking things. If it's if I see a girlfriend share something, I don't even need to see what it all of it was. I will hit like as a show of support. And I always thought that other people were like that, but I actually don't think people are because I've been in company with other people who do what I do, for example, for a living. 
And I see people truly stop and ponder on a single post before they determine mm -hmm. if they will like it, if they will share it. And I'm like, well, what the heck? It's, it's, it will do good to other people. Share it. What's, what are you, what are, what is the hard dilemma here? Mm -hmm. And people still seem like they have a dilemma. So I used to think that everybody would just like or share things that they can acknowledge. Hey, this is good. I will share something good. I will like something good. But now I honestly am not sure. <laughs> so the reason why I ask that is because I think there's a conspiracy of goodness happening in the world. And um, may I tell the story of the conspiracy? Again? Absolutely. Okay. So um, I talk to thought leaders all over the world. I have for six years now. If we're writing an article about them or what have you, um, the nicest people in the world, these folks that are breaking their necks to make it a better place for us all, just always nice. And um, I was talking to a thought leader about a year and a half ago, and he has this amazing project called the Stanford Peace Project. And um, about halfway through our conversation, he said, Linda, what you're doing sounds exactly like the conspiracy of goodness. You know that story, don't you? And I said, no, I've never heard it. And um, the conversation went on between us, but I went and that, that, that phrase, the conspiracy of goodness, hit me right between the eyes. I just had to know more about this. And I found the source of it. And here's the story. So there was a little town in Le Chambon, France, that managed to save 3,500 Jews, most of them orphans, from a nearby Nazi concentration camp. And of course it was at great risk to the villagers' life. It was just a little farming community. So in 1986, there was a rabbi, Harold Schulweiss, who was giving a talk in Europe that he called the conspiracy of evil. And he was talking about that chapter of history. And at the end, an old man stood up in the back of the room and said he had saved a family of Jews in his home. And he said, why does everyone call the that period in history a conspiracy of evil? He said, do you think I could have hidden this family without the active participation of the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbor? No, for every one person saved, there were seven rescuers. It was a conspiracy of goodness. Mm. That's powerful. So that is the era I think we're in. You and I cannot go save the rainforest on our own. We can't stop the forest fires out in the West, but we can be the milkman, the mailman and the neighbors who make whoever is willing to jump into those big fights successful. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what you were just talking about. Like, why wouldn't you want to support a neighbor who's got a small business? that's trying to make it in these times and doing a good job. You know, why wouldn't we want to support Topher White, who has a way to save the remaining rainforest using old cell phones? Why wouldn't we want to support that little neighbor kid that raised the $400? Um, we, we need to think hard about the fact that we don't have to go and, and be, the, be the one, but we can be the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors that make a better world possible. I love that. I hope everybody took notes on that and looks it up later because wow, what a, what a story. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about victim mindsets too, mm -hmm. because I know for me personally, this was part of the impetus for even creating this podcast in the first place. So how can someone kind of self-evaluate their life right now to determine if and where 
some victimhood might be popping up before taking the steps to to break that mindset, you know, like to really determine, am I, am I surviving instead of thriving? And is it somewhat my own fault that I feel stuck in this place of just barely getting by instead of getting to that next point of thriving? So when I talk about victim mentality with people, of course you really have to separate flat out tragedy. Totally from our day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. the way we lead our day-to-day lives. And if you don't do that, nothing I'm going to say next makes sense. <laughs> but I have lived through tragedy, several. And and um, a good bit of the time, I do have a role. I do have a role. You and I talked a moment ago about um, the fact that I, I had a one-pound baby. And she, good news is... <laughs> Sorry, I have to start start so many times <laughs> with that, uh, but that's where I, I am. Um, she, the good news is she she lived. She had a she had a patent by the time she was twenty two years old on a new kind of wind turbine. She has almost no signs of starting out that that low. Incredible. But my role in that is pretty clear to me. I was a very busy person then. I was too busy. I. I just knew no boundaries back in those days, and I think she. She fell out because I just worked too hard and didn't get enough sleep, didn't eat right. I just don't think I was taking care of myself. And that little that little being inside there said, hell, I'm just going to get out of here because <laughs> this place is dangerous in here. This woman's out of her mind. And um, I, I don't know. I've always thought I had some role. Man, we, we did find out that I had a terrible infection. Uh, but, you know, I've always trained myself to look for my role in, in what happens to me good or bad. And it just helps me learn for the next time. I'm really big on near misses. Mm. So whenever I think of, I've sli- I want to slip down this victim mentality thing. I think of what I'm learning and how it can save me from some gigantic, even worse mistake on down the line. And if we really look at the bad things that are happening to us and we find some role, not, not full responsibility, there's no, I'm not even talking about from a blame situation at all. I'm just saying, what was our role? Um, and we say, oh, gosh, I guess I did have a role there. I can make different choices next time. So something even stranger and more horrible doesn't happen to me. Again, this is on day-to-day living stuff, not on tragedy, things like forest fires and things. Um, so, for instance, with the internet, <laughs> if you're living a life where you feel like your online life is out of control and it's nothing but a negative spiral, examine your role in that. Are you, are you tapping into breaking news several times every hour? Are you engaging those, meaning, those mean or meaningless posts on social media? Are you spending more time there than you are with your, the people you love? I mean, we... We could feel like the victim of this online negativity, but it requires our participation. There's almost nothing about that that is not tied to our active participation in that craziness. And our perspective through all of that. Because something you just said reminded me, I literally have a quote on my bulletin board. I win or I learn, but I never lose. 
Good, right? <laughs> that, that that says what I just said only in about five words. Right? But it's like, it's yeah. entirely based in your perspective because mm-hmm. you can be sitting there going, I'm a loser, I lost, that I failed, and really just send yourself down that negative spiral of feelings. I've been there, I've done that, I'm guilty of it too. I know, you know, we've all done it at some point or another, but it really takes intentional effort to shift that to, okay, I didn't lose, I learned like there, I learned something to, I think what Thomas Edison said this, right? Where he didn't fail. He just found 10,000 ways to not create the light bulb. (laughs) That is is a great, yes, that's a perfect example, right? Yeah, Like he himself was like, I'm not losing. I just figured out a whole lot of ways to not do it. So, but it had, he called it quits and let that negative perspective take over. I mean, come on, we we have not just not had the light bulb today. Like we couldn't even imagine life now had he called it quits and said, Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm just, I'm clearly just not good enough. I should just stop. So. And I've got to share something with you that's really important to me. Um, I, I hear a lot of people having a quitter attitude about the news. Okay. So. Uh, the first the first few years of writing circles, I used to recommend that people just turn off the news. If they weren't going to tell us anything nice, it was kind of like your mom saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't, <laughs> don't say it at all. Yep. <laughs> so I used to recommend that until I had a really hilarious encounter where I totally put my foot in my mouth. Um, and I learned that um, that is about the worst, the worst advice I could be giving people back to the victimness and back to what we give our attention to. We need to know about the world. It's, it's just a fact. And we, we, can't, we can't be good friends if we don't know certain things about what are happening in the world. We can't give our kids good advice. We surely can't be good business people if we don't know what's going on in the world. So when I hear people say, oh, I've just turned off the news entirely. Well, I understand that that is a logical <laughs> an absolutely reasonable response to what's in the news these days. I say, wait, that's like going on a fast. I mean, we know you're going to come out dazed and confused if you fast for 30 days, (laughs) right? But I say a news diet is where we should be. I let myself, I, I have a 12 minute drive from my home to my dental practice or this office that I'm speaking to you from today. So I've got 12 minutes there. I listen to really carefully curated news on the station that has the least opinion I can possibly find. Cause that's the difference. We could talk another whole talk about the difference <laughs> news and opinion, but uh, so I get my 12 minutes there and I, I, I subscribe to something that's like the news in brief that pops in my e- by email by six o'clock in the morning. And that's it. Anything that doesn't make that 12 minutes or that email is probably not going to, um, is not going to cause me to make really horrifying decisions. So I get that and that's it. And I think that's part of our victim feeling victimized by the news is that we're not, we're not limiting it. We're not making sure it has the right scale in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a place for where we can really take some agency going forward too, is make sure that the news has the proper scale in your life. I like that too, because there's a lot of intentionality behind that on your end which speaks to everything that we just talked about in terms of really carefully curating and choosing mm-hmm. everything, taking taking agency and taking ownership of your own life and not just allowing anything and everything that has an opinion or has a thought 
to come at you and impact you because that's whether it's listening to the news or whether it's a tro- an anonymous troll on Facebook or whatever you're dealing. It's like so much of it comes from that people inserting themselves into your personal bubble and us just accepting it. It's like, I remember my parents have always said, you know, if someone walks into your front door of your house and you don't know them and they just walk in and help themselves to something in your fridge and then start shouting insults at you, would you let them stay? And if you ask that to someone, everyone's reaction is, of course not. You'd call the cops. You'd kick them out. Like, you'd whatever. They're a stranger. They are intruding in your house and yelling abominations at you. Of course you're not going to let them stay. Okay, well, then how come all of us let that happen every single day on our social media? Or mm-hmm. we're seeking out people to, mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking, come into our house, come into our space and rile us up. It's like... Oh my gosh, how different it would be if we were able to just create our own safe space and really protect that for all of our mental sanity. It would make a world of difference. And I think that um, the natural extension to exactly what you just said is deciding who we want in our living rooms. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I know some amazingly passionate people on both sides of the politics of our times right now that, you know, I always say, you don't get the heart of a lion without some experience in your childhood that's gotten you there. Yes. And I'm, I'm so curious about people's life experiences that lead them to the kind of passion that they have. But the shouting at each other with clenched fists, no matter what side you're on, is starting to really break us down. And what I think we're ready for, the leap in the new era that I keep saying is coming, I think we're ready for the thoughtful people, the helpers, Mm. the people who have a level of measured grace. Like even if a stranger walked to use your analogy, perfect analogy. If, if the stranger walked into your living room and they came in there with a kind of measured grace and curiosity about you and they seem thoughtful and, and helpful, you might let that person stay. You might not call the cops. You might be like, hey, you want a glass of wine while you're here? Yes, right? <laughs> yes. And and I think we're there. I think that there are enough of us. And can I give you a little number about what enough means? Oh, please do. Okay. So, of course, you can imagine the Everwinding Circles journey has been like a, a roller coaster for social, um, for somebody who's kind of trying to be a social in- innovator. Not kind of, I I am trying to be a social engineer. <laughs> it has been such a roller coaster of, of raucous uh, rapture and deep, deep, dark, <laughs> dark days as well. Um, one day when I was in one of the dark days, I was on LinkedIn. I never go on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, there I was. And I see this great study done by the World, um, World Economic Forum. And it was a study that asked how many people does it take to change social systems, to change the, the way we all think is normal and what we're, what's acceptable? How many? And on my dark days, <laughs> I would have said 80%. I would have said that loud, noisy, talking through their fist side is just so darn recalcitrant. It's got to be 80% of us have to all think this new thing is good or else it's never, never going to fly. And then on my good days, I would have thought 51%. It takes 51% of us to push something great over the line and make it the social norm. 
but the number is actually 25%. Wow. Uh, the University of London and the University of Pennsylvania got together um, in this big study, and they figured out that it takes just 25% of us to change the, our notion about what's normal and acceptable. Um, and then neuroscience does the rest. After that, there's kind of a domino effect of people wanting to feel like they belong and are additive to a process and all that. So I think that's doable. Erica, do you know 25% of your friends? Do they want a better world? Oh, I think so. I think we can, I think we can make some magic with those numbers. Feel pretty Me good too. about it. Me too. I, I rem that's it. That, that wind has been in my sail ever since that day. And I, it's got me through some dark days because 25% of my dental practice, more than that, want a, a, a more, a better world than they're seeing now. They want people to be kinder than they need to be. And, and they want real imagination put towards our hardest problems. Uh, 25% of the people outside this, this window, that 25% is a very doable number. Absolutely. I think we can do that. I think we can use that and do some good with it. You know, um, uh, I think that if we have that kind of attitude going forward and we do dip into the news from time to time, um, we will, we will keep the wind in our sails too. Because we've got to be there for our neighbors and our families and our kids. Because we can't, we can't always be on on top of it. We mm -hmm. can't always be up. And um, I, I think that's a part of it too. Is just having a few points of of beauty and a few points of possibility. A, a good solid quote for when you do hit those 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 doldrums um, that you can hang on to and make it to the next the next climb. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you and have you just pour out so much wisdom on everybody. So I really can't thank you enough for being on Thrive. I want to close things out by asking you a question that I ask all guests who come on Thrive, and that is, what does Thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? So... We've been talking about a lot about uh, you know the times when we're just um, getting getting by and need to hang on to reality. You know, I've talked about our times when we had babies in the NICU. Um, so if we look at those times and we look at the way natural the north natural course of events is ups and downs. It's just how it is. <laughs> I feel like I'm thriving during those those periods when I have the luxury to to be learning. Mm like not just holding on, not just making this moment as best as I can make it this hour, the best that I can make it and so forth. Like we all have times in our lives like that. Um, but, and that's when we're in that survival mode. <laughs> and I, I think we've got to be realistic and know that there will be those times that we can, we do have the option to celebrate the times when they're, when we are not in that mode. And that's when I think I'm thriving is when I'm learning and when I'm changing, I really embrace change and um, the way other people improve my way of thinking. And that's when I know I'm thriving is when I'm, when I'm really being improved by the ideas of others. That's awesome. I heard someone say that recently too, where they said, if you're looking back on the past year of your life, how have you grown? And if you can't think, of specific ways that you have grown and changed as a person, you didn't do it right. <laughs> yeah. You didn't grow enough because 
that's, I mean, who wants to, who wants to look back and say, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, and be the exact same that you are right now? I mean, not me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that mo that we're, we're all um, comfortable with a different uh, level of change in our life. You know, there's mm -hmm. those people that have never changed the way their living room furniture sits for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my, I have a, one of my kids is like that. And uh, I think there's a place for everybody in the Absolutely. scenario. Yeah, the, the scenario that's going to unfold in the next, I say, um, year or two, there's going to be room for every single one of our strengths. And we're going to need people like me who can point to possibility. Um, we're going to need people that say steady as she goes. We're going to need people that, that are the quiet doers. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need some that just rock our socks off with, um, with what is possible from time to time. But, um, but, and we'll get there. I'm absolutely sure of it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again for coming on and for, I think, instilling just hope in people again. Besides talking happiness, I feel like you've just given some people so many things to think about mm -hmm. that add hope back into what might have been a pretty bleak perspective beforehand. So thank you again for coming on. Tell us where people can find you online and where people can get their hands on a copy of Happiness is an Option. So Happiness is an Option is on Amazon. It's also Barnes and Noble. It's also on my, my personal public speaking website, which is at drlinda.com. There's a dash there between the dr, dr-lynda.com. Um, and uh, I really, really, really want to recommend that people download the Everwiding Circles app. That's the best place to keep track of all the wonder and, and inspiring things that we are not celebrating nearly enough in mainstream media. And it's like having the, the antidote to the daily news right <laughs> in the palm of your hand. And the last thing I wanted to tell you about, I'm not sure when this broadcast will be, but we are actually going way out on a limb in these difficult times. And we're going to host a conference about Amazing. finding goodness. Um, uh, we had so many people advise us that this, these were not the times for conferences, but we're just going to go for it anyway. We're hosting the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit on October 4th. And um, if this is broadcast after that, we'll be able to, people will be able to access that content. But we have seven of the most amazing global thought leaders that are going to share with us how we find goodness, um, less fear, more joy, and a brighter future. It's going to be really exciting. So those are three places, ewc.co, that stands for everwideningcircles.com, and uh, dr-linda.com, and the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.